0: Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today in the show, I have Mark Pickren, CEO of the Americas for Turnkey Lender. Turnkey Lender is a SaaS solution to allow for business lending. And with that, here's my interview with Mark. Mark, thank you for taking the time today.
1: Yeah, great to be here. Good morning. Yes. So Mark Pickren of Turnkey Lender. Tell us about Turnkey Lender. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a strange story. About four and a half months ago, I sold another software business that was a marketing automation software for small business, and a chief banking officer friend of mine at a publicly traded bank had called me up and knew that my previous experience had always been in kind of the digitization of different lending platforms prior to this uh, company called Nation Star, and then eventually rebranded as, as Mr. Cooper. And so um, I didn't have anything to do at the time, and I thought it would be really cool to be able to do the same type of digitization that we did at the previous company. And I started looking around at loan origi- origination systems, loan management systems in the marketplace and happened through an investor friend of ours, ended up getting in touch with Elena, who is one of the co-founders of Turnkey Lender. Short story, even longer, she and I had a conversation a few weeks later. I kind of came on board as an advisor slash unpaid CEO for a few uh, weeks to try and see if there was a good relationship. Relationship there, and then eventually accepted the position as um, CEO for the Americas, with the goal of moving our headquarters eventually, most probably from Singapore to to the United States. So it's a it's an international company. Love to talk to you a little 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 bit about that as well.
0: Okay, so we will uh, jump into that, but essentially talk to me about what it is or what was the origin of Turnkey Ledger. What was the problem they were trying to solve for the marketplace?
1: Yeah, so it's a global company as I mentioned before. 180 clients, 50 countries, over 50 million people on the platform, and it was uh, it was founded really to to solve a, a big a big challenge and something that's even looming heavier, which is the democratization of finance for those of us in North America and and even other parts of the world. Obviously, the idea that you go to the store, you pick the product that you want off the shelf and you run a credit card and second later you're walking out of the door for a large part of the world that reality doesn't exist in fact the idea that anybody would store electronic money on a card that you can use anywhere that's linked to your bank account that's linked to your employer is a completely foreign you know idea and so some of our original products actually focused in malaysia in in terms of helping underserved communities establish business credit so that they could launch micro-businesses. And the way that they solved that was by creating an algorithm, a scorecard that experimented with everything but the driver's license slash credit bureau report. Because in many of these countries like Thailand, there's three different national IDs. And so how do you establish, A, that you're dealing with the right person, and B, how do you you figure out a way to find out whether or not loaning the money is going to end up being a positive event? And so that was that was kind of the impetus, more of an altruistic kind of scientific experimentation, if you will. That then all of a sudden those algorithms started being needed in other places. There's one of our clients just went public. I mean, didn't go public, just got a billion dollar unicorn evaluation, raised 130 million on their B round, named Asusis, and they operate on our platform. And so, you know, this democratization of money is really, and and finance is really, I think, something that is catching on globally.
0: Well, it makes sense, right? I mean, if you see an opportunity within, a nation for some form of alternative lending or you have the audience or whatever it is. You can always try to build it all yourself from scratch, but being able to count on something that's proven to work in multiple jurisdictions and you know by now is tackled. I can't imagine how many little nuances of how different countries do handle things differently you guys must have had to address to be able to solve it in this many countries already. And, and that that kind of institutionalized learning, basically when you encounter a problem in a new country, odds are you've seen that trick before in a different way.
1: Yeah, I mean we're we're seeing a lot of first the reason why we originally based out of Asia Pac is because the kind of end of currency digitization of wallets and telecommunications is much further ahead in some of those countries like in some of those countries you never really see anybody exchange paper currency right it's all electronic it's all through the phone and in america and the americas that's starting to catch on even further as there's this great race towards you know race towards the wallet but back to the, you know, kind of democratization of, of money, of finance. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. The regulatory and compliance environments in some cultures, religious prohibition, you know, pr- prohibitive on lending or borrowing money you're dealing with. You're dealing with all different types of situations in the, the Malaysia or Thailand instance. You're dealing with three different, you know, IDs like who is the real Who is the real Mark Pickering in Thailand? I don't know. So bringing together and and building that, that kind of knowledge base. But ultimately, if you think about it, Instead of like a credit report that is pulling in very base level information about an individual, but isn't really giving a 360 degree view of that person. A lot of people carry a lot of cash in there that could be incorporated into the decisioning engine as to whether somebody's credit worthiness. And so and there's all of these other signals and clusters in terms of analysis. And I'm I'm, way, I'm not smart enough to, to have that conversation. But there are so many more available inputs, one of those being a lot of the telecommunications companies. uh, We have two currently, hopefully a third, serving over 50 million folks that are borrowing money through their mobile device. And if you think about it, um, a lot of the world has push-button phones. How do you solve for them being able to obtain a $50 or $100 loan because they're they're caught somewhere and they need to catch an Uber home, right? They need a ride home. And so a lot of the telecommunication companies are now seeing that since they have the wallet, they have the stored credit card, their life's remote control, why wouldn't you now turn yourself into more of a digital bank, particularly for those populations that are unbanked?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they already have the distribution settled in some of those areas, right? But, you know, these challenges you're talking about, it's, you know, the, the foundational stuff of push button phones versus smartphones, you know, it's something that didn't even cross my mind, but absolutely true. So, and, and this has been, this has had to be tackled in different countries in so many different ways. So I, I guess the real question to to that is you've seen all these tricks. How much would you say are like the common, like what are the biggest common challenges? And what do you say the most kind of bespoke challenges you've encountered thus far?
1: Probably for us is, is there's two terms that kind of define our business. One is embedded lending and one is banking as a service. And so you've seen this evolution of like the buy now, pay later. So let's say that Amazon and both Target have signed one-year agreements with a firm, a third-party company. When you go to see your local veterinarian and or doctor, you probably have seen a sign on the counter for a company maybe called care credit. These are finance companies that exist in the endoplasmic reticulum. I always love that word. So one I retained in science class, but the outside kind of entities that have sat fat for a hundred years on top of controlling how consumers access money. Right. And then you have this explosion of like, okay, well, well, now I'm a small business. Now small businesses got squeezed, you know, pretty heavy with COVID. So now I need to start looking at where can I cut operational efficiencies, create operational efficiencies so I don't have to, because I'm gonna have to pay people more and it's gonna be harder for the next, for the next little while. And then all of a sudden they start noticing that there's about roughly 4% of every credit card transaction that goes to a grouping of random companies. And these are basis points, right? Like we don't think about like 25 basis points. Points that's a quarter of a percent, whatever, right? As a consumer, maybe now with inflation, who knows? Maybe we start analyzing those four percent even even more as well, since rates in the United States have gone up above seven in terms of inflation. So, anyways, the the point being that like you have all of this disruption. I mean, since like digital lending's been around since 2014, the band magic had the top hit rude that date. Like digital lending has been around that long. You have 2022, and now all of a sudden, all of these companies are realizing well, how has the auto finance automotive industry survived? All they are is a finance company that just happens to sell cars. And that model's going away. Like Carvana, like I recently purchased a car completely over the phone, didn't fill allowed anything except something online had a card delivered to me within three days like so all of all of the traditional means walk into your major bank today and say you want to start a small business and ask for a loan they will hand you two credit card applications one personal one business Like there is no, you know, in a lot of those companies that you see on every, on every corner. So you have this huge disruption, but the challenge is, is that everybody thought that like Prosper and Lending Club since- Finance was such a crazy, like hard to figure out thing, right? Like people loan you money and you return it in terms of interest income. Wow, what a concept, right? Mm -hmm. Like so, they thought that they were just going to like the lending clubs and Prospers were just going to proliferate, and it was going to be the end of kind of like finance as we know it. But what they didn't figure out was like you could come to a company like Turnkey Lender, and you can have application decisioning engine underwriting servicing and collections all handled digitally by some really smart college grads that know SQL like so that's kind of where we we decided like why don't we build the AutoCAD of lending to where you know with some good time and training and spending time with it you can modularize and you can create workflows and configurations to basically build any type of loan that you want you can have loans that have bullet loans, which have you, you borrow $30 and you pay a dollar a day. I mean, a million different type of loan products. And you could be my friends up in Canada, DeFriends. You could be an Ashley uh, furniture retailer. You could be a community development organization that is trying to loan part p- money to people, underserved populations to start businesses. You could loan money to any Fortune 500 company or any um, bicycle manufacturer in Salt Lake City, Utah that wants to finance a $2,000 custom custom, uh, 10-speed bicycle. So we exist to solve that problem of getting across the fact that lending is not, not is, is something you can do in Excel in about five minutes, you can determine about five different profitability scenarios. Now, the problem that we're solving for our clients is a little bit different. You'd be surprised at how few of them talk, especially at the enterprise level. So John Deere and Caterpillar compete in the same space. Caterpillar has a, what I understand, a pretty sophisticated lending module to loan money and it'd be an embedded lender for their own, for, for their dealers and to sell their product because they can then create, and then and John Deere has one as well. But a number of companies, they use third parties to finance their products, in, including anybody that uses a buy now, pay later platform. The number one reason why most people are coming to us is because of customer data. They don't want to sell their customer to, in the case of care credit, you're selling it to Synchrony. So we, I think the biggest challenge that we're solving It's just explaining that lending is not something that people should be afraid of, they should embrace because of the multitude of of, of positives that come from it.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, at the end of the day, the lending capacity or the lending apparatus isn't unknown to them, right? You're solving for that problem. You're giving them the same net functionality. But the bigger going back to you, why you think the what you're saying about the, the giving away their data yeah, that is short term benefit in terms of the lending and a long term possible disruption of their own industries because they're giving you know, those companies are compiling that in a very large way, I think from the use of it, possible resale, repackaging of it. And you know, it's not there's been more than one example of companies moving into other sectors of the economy based on data that compiled on third party vendors that they were servicing. So it's um, I'm one for for understanding what where the appeal is and and being able to control for that. So that's basically what you're selling. Talk to me about the the experience uh, for the vendors and dealing with you. So is this kind of a consultative process where you go in and, and kind of sit down with them and figure out where the lending solutions are, figure out what to bring to bear? Uh, is this more of a packaged solution at this point where there's not you know for every jurisdiction you now have it more or less out of the box? You know how much of it is it from from pure bespoke to completely off the shelf at this
1: point? Yeah, that's that's probably the big challenge that we're solving in 2022 is moving from so we have two products and we're reformatting our homepage unfortunately we're not a huge company so we are still keeping one website so we have one website that serves basically it's written in english other languages and it serves kind of the, the the globe and we're we're we kind of doing our homepage to make it much more simple in terms of understanding us as a company, because even when I go on investor calls or financial sponsor calls or client calls, you can spend 20 minutes minutes of your PowerPoint with lots of words and graphs. And people still don't at the end of like the last 10 minutes of the meeting, somebody raises their hand and says, I still don't know what you do. So we're trying to simplify in terms of our positioning. And number one, we do have a box product and that is that is very set in terms of marketing to where it is more of a single credit policy, a single type of loan product that usually runs about $50,000. Or less per year. And then we have an enterprise edition, which really is segmented into like consumer and commercial, commercial being OEM manufacturers. So let's say that you're a, a manufacturer of aluminum, aluminum structures, right? Currently, let's actually use a tractor example. They're cooler. And people know tractors a lot more. So let's say that you're a farm equipment company or a, or a builder, a commercial. Builder and you have the opportunity to bid on a project, but it would it would require that you increase your your tractors by ten. So you go to the different tractor companies, and some of those companies offer in house financing to where you could buy those ten tractors on the spot, develop terms, uh, sign service contracts, and that customer now is checking in. You're now cutting a check every month to Mahindra or whatever. Could, could caterpillar. In the other scenario, you're a manufacturer, you're a little lower on the tier, and you have a dealer network, which others have dealer networks as well. But you hand the guy or girl five pieces of paper they've got to fill out, then they enter those into a system. It goes out to like 25 different specialty finance companies. Now your social security number, your credit history, your bank's financial history, it's been weeks because you've been dealing with Barbara at the finance company trying to satisfy their underwriting guidelines they send it out to the market and the the highest bidder finances your project. Well, first of all, that specialty finance company doesn't have the ability to fully value the product because they don't manufacture it and they're not 100% in the business, but let's say they're smart. The whole point is you just sold your customer. That third-party finance company has no loyalty to you when that next order for 10 tractors comes in. They could order from any other brand and you wouldn't even know that they were expanding as a client because you sold your client to somebody else. And so I think for me, solving the whole idea that a single company can retain that first party data and build the loyalty for resale is something that is probably the most important piece of what we do, even if it's a technical department that's the uh, running the RFP and they don't look at the customer loyalty piece in the same way as they do the technical specifications. But ultimately, the smart CEOs and CFOs of the world are quite frankly, I mean, it's the strangest business. One of the things that attracted me to Turnkey ender is we get like big brands like H&R Block that like find us via the website. We have a direct selling organization that we're building, but quite frankly, it's kind of by osmosis. Like people are searching us out And I know that sounds weird. It's not a huge amount of people, but once a month we have some sort of major corporation call us and say, hey, we're thinking of doing this. Can you guys help out? And we're like, yeah, we can absolutely do that. So it's been, I think the need is so out there. The TAM is so big. We've just got to find, we've got to further find our, and define exactly who we're going after. And if your next question was, who exactly are you going after i could name off about 6 but i don't i don't want to commit myself 6 months from now and looking back and saying that i said those 6 and and they all turned out to be disastrous. So we're still in the research phase, but we do have clients across everything from banking to factoring to, I believe, halal lending. So Islamic, you know, ways in which we can support different communities that don't have access to capital and have unique laws in terms of how they borrow. So we're, we'll we'll work any with anyone and anywhere to try and solve their their kind of lending credit challenges.
0: I'm curious, how much does the appetite for risk within the companies you're dealing with impact their use of your tool? I mean, I would think that first off, anyone who's reaching out to you is basically saying to themselves, we need to get into the to the financing market of this because either A, we're giving away too much business or B, we're losing business because there's a point of sale issue where people hit the check or you know, we're ready to sell, but oh no, there's they need to go get money elsewhere. Or maybe they don't come back. If, and and with that, the you know, each of them has to answer their own unique. Risk profile for just just how creditworthy the lender has to the borrower has to be before they're comfortable lending to them. So the question becomes, how much is of, of their risk profile impacts their willingness to work with you or the or the scalability of what they're doing with you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's each each company's kind of balance sheet perspective that identifies their approach to the secondary, which would be kind of the wholesale or the secondary market. And so I know a number of like. A a number of different providers securitize their, um, like some healthcare lenders that lend to physician offices, do their own lending, they balance sheet it for a short period of time before they then sell it into the third party. And we we stay away from that side of the house, like how people choose to leverage their financing. But if you're an OEM manufacturer, you're typically gonna balance sheet it because let's say you're selling something for 100, you make 30 on it, 70% is interest income over five to 10 years. You might as well make that interest income over five to 10 years. And the the way that the systems have been able to, particularly like our decision engine, the amount of data on people that can make a, a private credit decision based upon very advanced machine learning rules has improved so much that fraud and even failure to pay has been minimized in such a way that they can they can manage that downside exposure. I believe even through credit products they can buy insurance against that. But what is the upside? Like if you're a major furniture retailer, well, here I'll even give you an example. We have a current customer that's a, a two billion dollar JM Bullion. They sell gold and silver online. couple billion dollars a year i believe and they're owned by a a well-capitalized private equity for i I mean um, a holding company but working with companies like that to be able to expand at the end of an order a market price decision so if you could buy now pay later on a product that is if you can buy now pay later if you spend an additional 500 dollars at current market rates today you can just even simply create sales velocity without charging any interest, right? You can just, just by allowing payment options, you can you can increase sales velocity. And then if you're like Target, you're trying to build wallet, right? You're trying to have the Target wallet be something that you're regularly using on a weekly basis because that cash is now held in, a, in an interest bearing account by the, the corporation. And it also allows to track spending habits, et cetera. And so somebody like that, Target could offer their own buy now, pay later to a certain segment of, of customers. But you do get to one, one, one really difficult point, which is like, if you're dealing with a situation where there's always going to be, if, if you needed to do it, there are subprime to prime sub lenders that will do loans down to lower credit levels. So if you were in a situation like a veterinarian and care credit turns you down, which is owned by Synchrony, a huge credit card company, you could partner with a third party that would ensure that no matter what the lender's kind of position is, you're willing to lend, particularly like in a healthcare situation to where somebody's life could be on the line or your pet's life could be on the line. The vet could choose to to finance those customers, knowing what they're kind of getting into and being able to, to create some custom payment plans that allow the customer to pay them back. And cell phone data is one of the one of the biggest ways that you can actually tell whether somebody is a good credit risk or not is by how how they use their telephone. And a lot of the, the telephone data is is available not in terms of conversations, but do you call family within a twenty five mile area? Are you are you stable in terms of the times of day that you make phone calls? Do you pay your have you pay, always paid your bill on time? Because the remote control of our life is the mobile phone. And the last thing that anybody's gonna stop paying is their mobile phone bill. So it holds the it holds the most data relative to helping to customize solutions for 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 customers.
0: Fascinating. So before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everybody. First one is if you had one wish for something to change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be?
1: It's probably for the for the company, it's you know, I have a I have a i use smart i have a 62 bullet point uh, 100 day plan and a lot of it deals with the simplification of the product in terms of being able to make it more understood by more people because the democratization of finance is a meaningful and worthy cause and so if we can create a situation to where it's almost like bought off the shelf we have more people coming to us from different parts of the world and it's able to be downloaded and utilized in a fairly quickly manner, that would be ideal. The industry itself, continuing to monitor. And as laws have been passed, I'm not a a political guy, but occasionally I think they pass some decent laws. And and one of them is to, to minimize the finance charges that companies can charge customers. So the side of lending that has always carried a negative connotation, I would like to continue to not have that be Prevalent and/or exist—it's a pipe dream. But there, there, there's always people protecting, you know, kind of predatory lending. But in our charter as an organization, we we refuse to work with. Like we we get inbound leads from hard money lenders that are. No offense to them. There's there's good quality folks out there, but people that are loaning money at obscene interest rates and taking advantage of the consumer, perhaps in a moment of need. Uh, That that's the side of the business that we're prohibited from working in. But I, I. Wish I didn't have to ever address it as a and then lastly is, you know, obviously, like everybody like inflation's creating a lot of disruption in our economy and and it's impacting a lot of folks in a very negative way. And and how do we how do we kind of right set things so that everybody has an equal opportunity to thrive and be successful in the country? So I would say that those are the things that that, that most most probably keep me up at night.
0: Well, not excellent, but a reason for concern. The second question I have for you is what's been the biggest challenge in getting the company to where it is today?
1: We didn't have a super developed sales channel. The way that we obtain customers is largely through marketing means, organic search. And so we've recently taken kind of a approach of creating more of a direct and direct and non-direct hybrid model. And then obviously finding people is hard today's economy. So making sure that we're... I come from a background of both enterprise and direct selling and it's funny you think the direct sellers would make it really easy transition into an enterprise sales salesperson that's less direct so going from 100 dials a day to 20 but it's actually it's actually harder because It's a different breed of of human being that's been wired differently. So continuing to build out our sales channel and to to make it so that we can bring it 1970s songs, Doobie Brothers, you know, taking it to the street. We can make this thing as massive as it can be in as short a period of time because there is competition in the marketplace and there are dying industries that could be thriving industries if only they would embrace banking as a service embedded lending.
0: Like I said, between the um, between the increased margin on that, but more importantly, the not losing a sale because essentially now encountered a financing issue and maybe <laughs> the access or the friction of that loses that sale. Totally see how that can be a massive turnaround to a business. And the last question I have for you is: What excites you and keeps you? getting up every morning to keep on fighting the good fight and working on what you're working on because it's uh <laughs> you know, creating this kind of change is not easy.
1: Yeah. So I meet, we have about 200 employees. We have about 130 in technology and about 70 in in sales ops and and marketing and more traditional SGNA type roles. And so we um it's super fun because I have meetings at eight o'clock in Singapore and I'm I'm talking with folks early in the morning and in other parts of the world and and um and we've seen to be able to uh, Of created kind of this concern for the company and and this family in the company. For me, I sold another business about four to five months ago after about a three and a half year kind of fight to to turn around its unit economics. And um, what attracted me to this position is the company and the product and the the health of the organization. We grew at 350% last year through osmosis and through some of our our top sales folks. So I think what gets me up in the morning is the fact that, that I've got a 62 column, a smart sheet in front of me for my first hundred days. And I can start in the morning and I can just continually go down the process of, of clicking into those different initiatives and, and try and reach out and make some change with the the folks that are associated with them. So if you're an entrepreneur out there, I'm over, over 50. So I'm, I'm my my son calls me a boomer, even though I'm Gen X. So I'm, Put that on the record but you know as an entrepreneur you've got to learn that you've got to meet the client where they want to be met not not where you want to be met and you cannot have and be successful in this business if you have a sense of entitlement what what the half life on experience right now is about two years so whatever you did over two years ago is worth about half and two years from now it'll be worth nothing so the constant accumulation of information and and, and doing that is the best way that you're going to be able to be successful as an entrepreneur, at least from what I've seen.
0: Well, I want to thank you very much, Mark, for taking the time to explain what it is you guys do. I wish you nothing but uh, with the best of success.
1: All right. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Good morning.
0: So that was today's episode of FinTech Impact. I hope you enjoyed that. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever it's it, your podcast. Until next time, take care.